0: Welcome to RevMD, a podcast created for healthcare professionals by healthcare professionals. We will share tips on medical billing and coding, as well as workflow optimization to help practices succeed, thrive, and grow revenue. Today, we're going to turn to insurance basics. If you're interested in the PowerPoint, you can go to nationalrevenueconsulting.com backslash podcast to download. At the end, I'll share a few things you can implement today in your practice to help secure your revenue. Things as simple as understanding deductibles, co-pays, and even things like primary and secondary insurance can really impact your workflow and your practice. If you need a reliable, data-driven medical biller, don't hesitate to reach out. All right, let's go to the first slide. So 1st there are typically three different types of insurance. Government payers like Medicare, TRICARE, Medicaid, private payers like Blue Blue Shield, and commercial insurance like publicly traded companies such as United or Aetna. It's important to understand each of these to some degree because there are slight differences in the claims process between the different types of payers. Let's go to the next slide. There are numerous types of insurance plans, but we will briefly mention the most common types. There are fee-for-service, or what is known as indemnity plans. There are managed care plans, which we all should be very familiar with. These are things like HMOs, EPOs, PPOs, and point-of-service plans. And then the, there are also consumer-driven health plans, also known as CDHPs, which are other things that we're also very familiar with, like HSAs, FSAs, HRAs, and MSAs. We will talk about each of these in a little bit more detail in a minute. First, let's talk about fee-for-service or indemnity health insurance plans. So these are um, actually plans that existed before the rise of HMOs and PPPOs. In this model, the insurance companies pay a predetermined percentage of what's called the reasonable and customary charges for a given service, and then the patient essentially pays the rest. There's no provider network, so patients can choose their own doctors and hospitals, but it means that the providers can then balance bill the patient for any billed amounts above what the insurance company pays. Um, Essentially, this happens because the providers, of course, don't have contracts with the insurance requiring them to accept the insurance fee schedule. So while the patients have more freedom with fee-for-service plans, um, they may also be on the hook for more balanced billing. And this is also much more infrequent now because of the rise of the other managed care plans. So managed care plans are when you must follow certain rules to access medical care. Managed care plans have contracts with providers and hospitals to provide care for their members at a specific rate. And we're going to talk a lot a bit more about this on the next slide. Last but not least, there are consumer-driven health plans, again, those CDHPs, which are health plans that use high deductibles coupled by tax-advantaged personal health care spending accounts. So it increases the consumer accountability for their health care spending. And there are four types of these CDHPs. There is the uh, flexible spending account or arrangement called an FSA, the health reimbursement arrangement or account, HRA, medical savings accounts, MSA, and health savings accounts, the HSA. Health savings accounts essentially allow enrollees to set aside pre-tax funds for eligible healthcare expenses, which includes things like co-pays and deductibles, but not premiums. And the funds are the funds earn non-taxable interest and then roll over year to year. Now flexible spending accounts are those tax-free funds that can go towards eligible out-of-pocket healthcare expenses like prescription drugs and medical products. And employers are actually determining what happens with those funds at the end of the year, so they may or may not roll over depending. Then there's health reimbursement arrangements, which allow employees to receive tax-free reimbursement for eligible medical expenses. Employers manage these arrangements, and health reimbursement arrangements have a cap on how much reimbursement employees can actually receive in a year. So the remaining funds will roll over year to year. Now last are those medical savings accounts, which are offered through a lot of the Medicare Advantage plans, which we'll talk about, and they um, have a high deductible health plan with a savings account kind of attached onto it. All right, let's go to the next slide and talk a little bit more in detail about managed care plans, of which we will cover four of them. So HMO stands for Health Maintenance Organization which enrollees are then required to to use in-network providers and cannot receive out-of-network coverage except in an emergency or after some sort of prior authorization. These patients are required to choose a primary care physician, um, and that has to be done within a certain time frame after enrolling, or the plan will actually choose one for them. Referrals may be required from primary care physicians in order to see a specialist and they can request a standing referral if they need to see a specific specialist for a specific period of time. Patients uh, are also required to get prior authorization or approval from their plan before they receive many different types of specialized services. And if the patient is enrolled in a Medicaid managed care plan, the essential plan, or Child Health Plus, then that is also typically something like an HMO plan. Next is the Exclusive Provider Organization, or EPO. These are typically plans that require enrollees to use an in-network provider and cannot receive out-of-network coverage except in an emergency or after prior authorization. So similar to the HMO. However, enrollees are not required to choose a primary care physician, and referrals are generally not required in order to see a specialist. So these enrollees are required to get prior authorization or approval for their plan before they can receive certain services, just like an HMO. Really, the biggest difference is whether or not they have to choose a primary care physician and, of course, referrals. Next is the PPO plan, or the Preferred Provider Organization. Unlike HMOs and EPOs, PPOs allow enrollees to use out of network providers for any reason. But the plan will typically only pay 70 or 80% of the out of network cost based on the plan's allowed limit. So the enrollee may pay the additional 20, 30% or whatever in the form of that coinsurance, which we'll talk about. Uh, plus any other out-of-network provider charge that is above that allowed uh, amount. So with a PPO, enrollees are not required to choose a primary care physician, and referrals are typically not required. They do sometimes need to get a prior authorization or prior approval from their plan before they have certain services. So that's the same. And then the last one we'll discuss about is what's called the point-of-service plan, or the POS, this is a hybrid plan, which features both an HMO and a PPO plan type features. Uh, this plan allows enrollees to use out of network providers, but if they do, they must pay the cost themselves, essentially, unless their primary care refer- uh, physician is referring them to that specific out of network specialist that they need. Enrollees are required to choose a primary care physician within a certain time frame after enrolling, but referrals are not typically as necessary. Enrollees are required to get prior authorization or approval for their plan, just like the other plans I've mentioned today. So we'll go to the next slide. There are many pros and cons to different plans. I will touch briefly on these, which is important not only for our patients, but also for us to understand when we're picking our own plan. With an HMO, the pros are you know, seen here, lower premium, right, lower costs than a PPO, but you have to stay in network and you need those referrals, plus you're having to uh, pick that primary care physician within a certain time frame. The EPO plan, which I didn't really list here in the chart, is similar to the HMO, but you do not need to pick a primary care provider and you don't need a referral as often. So very similar. Now, PPOs are larger networks and patients can go out-of-network without a referral, but oftentimes this requires a higher premium or higher deductible. So while the in-network services are affordable, it can get expensive quick if you're going out-of-network. Last, the point-of-service or POS plans are the hybrid between that HMO and PPO plan. Now, you don't need a referral and can go out-of-network, but You need to file claims of -of out-of-network care yourself, and oftentimes these have higher deductibles. All right, let's go to the next slide. I'll briefly talk a little bit about Medicare and Medicaid. So again, our government insurance plans. The red columns represent Medicare, and the blue columns represent Medicaid. So as we all know, Medicare is administered from the federal government and is typically serving people over 65, regardless of their income. The benefits are typically the same across all states and US territories. It may also serve younger disabled people and dialysis patients. There are standard small monthly premiums and there are deductibles for hospital and other costs. It's basically the same everywhere you go, and like I said, is run by the centers of for Medicare and Medicaid services, which is, you know, again, agency of the federal government. Medicaid, on the other hand, is administered by the state and is essentially an assistant program that varies state to state. So it serves our low-income people of every age, and patients usually pay no part of costs for covered medical expenses, although occasionally they may have to small pay, or pay a small copay, uh depending on the situation. Let's talk about Medicare parts in more detail. There are four parts of Medicare, parts A, B. C, and D. Other letters that sometimes you hear about, like Parts G and F, are not actually Medicare Parts and actually have to do with Medigap or Supplemental Insurance, which are again those optional plans. So let's talk about each of these in detail. Medicare Part A covers your room and board, essentially, when you're in a hospital. It helps cover common hospital expenses for things such as the cost of a room, hospice, home health, and even skilled nursing facility stays. This part of Medicare also covers blood transfusions and um, is a part that is free for most people. Now, Medicare Part B covers your outpatient medical services that are deemed medically necessary. This covers services thing or covers things like doctor's office visits, lab testing, imaging, preventative care, surgeries, even ambulance rides, lots of other therapies and treatments. Many of these may also occur in a hospital, so that's why it's sometimes challenging to decipher between Part A and Part B. So we're going to come back to Part C. Let's talk about Medicare Part D first. Because Medicare Part D plan is really that pharmacy or retail prescription drug coverage. This is also a federally created program to help lower the cost of retail prescription drugs. Unlike Part A and B, you do not enroll in Part, C, Part D through the, the typical Social Security office. Instead, Part D plan is something that's offered from other private insurance carriers, and so these are considered optional. And so you will have a monthly premium that you pay specifically for Part D coverage, and therefore it is um, separate. Now, you see on the left-hand side of the screen how we talk about this original Medicare. So again, that Part A and Part B is what is required. That Medigap or um, supplemental insurance is an optional add, as well as the Part D, you know, the pharmacy uh, drugs, which is also an optional add. On the right-hand side, you see the other option. This is also known as Medicare Part C. So this is a term for private Medicare insurance, which is confusing. It is actually entirely separate from Medicare unlike the other parts of Medicare which cover specific medical benefits, Medicare Part C is just another name for private Medicare insurance and is referred to as the Medicare Advantage Plan. So Medicare Advantage Plans are, like I said, private health plans that you can choose from, and it actually encompasses Part A, B, and sometimes Part D, all from one insurance carrier. Advantage Plans are usually a network of providers who you can seek care from. Now, plan C or excuse me, part C plans can often have lower premiums than doing a Medicare plus Medigap supplemental insurance plans. And so that's why people will sometimes choose these Medicare Advantage plans. However, you often have to have more copays and other uh one-time costs, so it doesn't necessarily always end up to be cheaper. Now, these Medicare Advantage plans can be structured like an HMO or a PPO or a private fee for service, depending on who you go with. So think of Part C or Medicare Advantage as an alternative if you want additional coverage. But oftentimes, you have a lot less doctors to choose from compared to doing Medicare plus the Medigap Supplemental Insurance So Medigap, which I've kind of touched on a little bit, again, is that supplemental insurance to go with Medicare Part A and B, and uh, is just another way to get additional services covered. So think of Part A and B, again, as one option. Then you can add on Medigap or Part D. If you're not satisfied with that package, then you can choose a private Medicare Advantage plan, which, again, often encompasses Part A, B, and D, all bundled. All right, let's go to the next slide. Let's talk a little bit about patient payments. So it's important, no matter if we're talking about our patients or ourselves, that we understand different patient payments because it does result in the overall cost of an insurance plan, knowing that you're not just paying a monthly premium, but you're paying other things like deductibles, co-pays, co-insurance, which all equal up to an out-of-pocket maximum. So out-of-pocket costs are a combination of the fees that a patient may pay for outside of that monthly premium. Things like the deductible, copay, and co-insurance. And these are all outlined typically in the insurance uh, that a patient uh, would sign up for. So the deductible is the number of funds you need to pay out of your own pocket before your actual health insurance plan kicks in. In other words, until you reach that amount, all the medical costs are on you. A lower deductible will kickstart your insurance much quicker, but you probably will have a higher premium. Alternatively, if you have a higher deductible, oftentimes this results in a lower premium, but you tend to have a longer period of time before your insurance kicks in. Now, the copay are a fixed amount that you pay for a service, like a physician office visit or an urgent care visit, uh, each time you have that service. These copays do not count towards your deductible and are frequently applied after your deductible has been met. The copay amount will obviously vary depending on what service you're getting. Now, coinsurance is something that kicks in after your deductible is met and represents the percentage of the cost of health care that you personally are responsible for or the patient is responsible for. For example, say the patient has a coinsurance of 15%. Then they will pay 15% of the cost of the service while the insurance company will pay the remainder of the 85%. So for example, if the patient has a $1,000 procedure and they have a 15% co-insurance, then they'll pay $150, and the insurance company would pay the other $850. Patients will continue to share the cost of their care until that out-of-pocket maximum is reached. Then when the out-of-pocket maximum is reached, so again, adding up together, you know, those deductibles and co-pays and co-insurance, then when you're maxed out then the insurance payer or insurance company has to pay the 100% of those covered services for the remainder of the year so that's important to understand especially in a private practice where you're trying to understand what patients owe what prior to their visit in an ideal setting so let's go to the next slide just as an example so let's talk about Jane so we'll talk a little bit about Jane's health insurance plan which she has a $1,500 deductible, 20% co-insurance, and then an out-of-pocket limit of $5,000. So beginning of the year, it's January 1, she goes to the doctor for an office visit, which costs $125. Since she has not met her $1,500 deductible, she will pay $125 and the plan pays zero. Now during the year, she continues to have additional medical services and now has come to the point where she's met her deductible. The next office visit, Jane goes to see her physician, which costs $75 this time. Since she has met her deductible and has a 20% coinsurance, she will only pay $15 for her visit, again, that 20%, and her plan pays the remainder $60. If Jane now has a copay, she will also have to pay that during the visit. After additional healthcare costs throughout the year, Jane now has met her out of pocket maximum of $5,000. During her last office visit of the year, it was a visit that cost $200. The plan will pay the entire amount and that she will not pay a copay. Let's head to the next slide. So there are occasional times when a patient may have two health plans. And this is really important for physician offices to know since you have to know which insurance to bill first, and you have to make sure that you're collecting the right deductibles and copays if there are two plans, because sometimes there will be two deductibles and 2 copays. So some common examples of patients who would have two insurance include patients, obviously, with Medicare plus their supplemental private plans, patients who are, say, under the age of 26 who still get coverage through their parents but then also get coverage through their employer. Also married coupled plan married couples where both are carrying insurance through their employers would be another reason why people would have two or a married parents who both have coverage and both uh and and both have their children listed on each plan. Now, I'm not quite sure if Why that would be, meaning I would never have my children on both my husband and I's plan, that seems silly to me, but sometimes there's important reasons to do that if you don't quite have enough coverage with one plan and you need additional coverage for certain medical conditions. So if we go to the next slide, it's important to also understand when patients have these two healthcare plans because one will be the primary insurance and one will be the secondary insurance. The primary insurance is the one that pays first and is the one that, as you can imagine, the secondary insurance kicks in once the primary insurance has paid. And then the remaining of that bill goes to the secondary insurance uh, for whatever the primary insurance didn't pay. So again, primary and secondary insurance is important for the offices to recognize because it does change your billing practices. Let's go to the next slide. So your impact to revenue. So it's important to understand all of this since oftentimes the office is having to do a coordination of benefits between the plans so that they're making sure that the practice is getting the revenue that they deserve. And of course, coordination of benefits isn't always simple. It isn't always standard. Plans can differ. And so it's vital to get that information ahead of time. Oftentimes, uh, you know, you can understand who pays first, but sometimes it's not always that easy. So for an example, uh, a patient who is covered under an employer-based plan who also has a spouse's plan, the employer plan is typically the primary, and the spouse's plan would be the secondary. Medicare can either be the primary or secondary insurance, depending on the circumstance. So for example, say Medicare is the primary payer for a patient who is over the age of 65 who's also insured by their employer but the employer company is very small, typically less than 20 employees. So that would mean Medicare would be the primary and that that private insurance from the employer would be the secondary. Now typically Medicaid is always considered a secondary payer. Let's go to the last slide. So I promised I'd give you a few tips on things that you can implement today in your practice. So first things first, you have to pick out who you're getting credentialed by and understand the nuances of each plan. So certainly be involved with the credentialing. Know who you're uh, credentialed with. Keep those documents. Keep your fee schedules and monitor that. If you're certainly needing help with that, there are companies out there who can help with credentialing. We also offer credentialing should you need that. Now, make sure your front office staff are getting insurance information at the time of, of appointment booking and that it is verified before the patient come in. Don't wait until you are dropping a bill in order to clean up any insurance issues because it will result in delayed claims. You should also confirm again when the patient comes in for their visit and collect any deductibles and co-pays up front. Some practices do this and some practices don't, but I recommend it. And you can always credit the patient or send money back, but typically it's usually you're needing another payment anyway. Now, many practice management softwares can provide that information and they'll do a verification so that it's easy for the office staff to know ahead of time. Also, you're always going to want to be following the data. And I know I say this many times and I'm going to keep saying it. Following the data really helps you understand what payments are coming in, collections are coming in. And I would highly recommend just not assuming that it's all going well, regardless of if you have an in-house bill or if it's outsourced. You've got to make sure that you understand that data, you understand the metrics and the benchmarks that you're trying to go after, and that you have a regular meeting set up with your biller to go over that information. And again, I recommend this whether you have an in-house biller or an outsourced biller. Thanks for joining today. We are starting a movement. If healthcare professionals understand the complexities of medical billing and insurance reimbursement, we can be advocates for our patients and grow our own revenue. If you like this podcast, share it on Facebook and invite others to the Facebook group RevMD.